0: Okay, we're looking at a trilogy of parables found in Matthew 25. Jesus is instructing his disciples about how they are to be prepared to be ready for his return and the setting up of his kingdom in the next age, And that's really what this series is about, is just what happens in this next age. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the things that Jesus said, Last week, we looked at the first of the three parables in Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. And the message, well, let me just say this. If you if you didn't listen to it, I encourage you to do that because it's very important. Uh, Jesus encur- encourages us through this parable to keep our lamps lit all the way until he returns. And that means um, our love for him, Jesus, the bridegroom, you know, that fire that probably started off in our Christian life, but we've let die out or we've let dimmer over time. That enthusiasm, that passion, that burning for them. And uh, really, you know, I went ahead and shared last week if one summary or one theme that runs through all three of these parables is <clears throat> be on the alert, <clears throat> be ready. And remain faithful in all things. And these are mentioned over and over. Now, obviously, these parables each have something specific to tell us. Um, We ended last time with a parallel passage in Luke 12, verse 35. It says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. And that really sort of summarizes what we talked about last time. <clears throat> okay, so this time we want to look at the parable of the talents, and uh, instead of th- these are long parables, uh, and I'm just going to tell the story uh, by looking, you know, here at the scriptures, and I think it might just flow a little bit better. But basically, this is about a man getting ready to go on a journey, a long journey, and he calls his slaves to him or his servants. And it says that he entrusts his possessions to him while he's gone. And in fact, he gave one man, one servant, five talents, another one, two talents, and one, one talent, according to their ability, he says. And the one with the five talents goes, and what does he do? Over time, you know, he makes five more tennis talents, so he's got 10. Um, the one with two ends up with four. The one with one, you know, he's, he's afraid. He's, uh, he, he says, I know my master's a hard man. So what he does, he goes and he doesn't spend it, but he goes and buries it in the ground until the master arrives. Well, after a long time, it says the, the uh, slave or the master returns and he wants to settle accounts. So he asks for the one with the uh, five talents and And the the man comes and says, look, I've, I've made five more talents. And it's kind of interesting. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter now into the joy of your master. And then he comes to the one with his two talents and he's doubled it as well. You know, he says, here's four talents. And uh, and again, the master says, "Well done, good and faithful uh, slave. You're faithful in a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things." And the one the one talent came, and he kind of said, "You know, I was afraid. Went away. I hid your talent in the ground. See, this is what was yours." And the master was very upset. In fact, he says, "You wicked, lazy slave. You know, you should have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest." And um, and so he says, take away the one the, the talent from the one man and give it to the person who now has 10 talents. And then he kind of says in verse 29, he says, "But to everyone who has two more shall be given and and he will have an abundance. but the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Okay, so first of all, it's kind of clear, but talent isn't like, a talent of music or a talent for, uh, you know, uh, art or something like that. Those are valid gifts, you know, those are talents. But this was a, it was a monetary unit and it represented a big chunk of money. Actually, each talent was worth about 15 years of wages for a laborer. And yes, that's a lot of money, isn't it? So just kind of imagine, just kind of take your salary, your annual salary, multiply it times, you know, 15, and you're probably going to get somewhere between a half a million and a million and a half. Some of you may even get a lot more than that, you know, Uh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's just for one talent. So if he gave five talents to one and two to another and one to another, that's a lot, isn't it? And so... For some reason, the master, according to their abilities, decides to entrust various individuals with with uh, different amounts of money or things that he wants them to take care of. And so, uh, and by the way, these were to his slaves or his servants. Uh, the Greek word there is doulos, meaning the the, the word that Jesus kind of picks up. And the New Testament picks up and says, calls us, when it talks about servants of God, we are the doulas of God. So he uses the same word there, which definitely is telling us that that we are the servants that he's talking about. And let's ask ourselves, what does it mean to entrust something to somebody? What means to keep it, to guard it? But it's more than that, because even the one servant did what? He kept it and guarded it. In fact, he buried it. But also, if if something's been entrusted, there's a responsibility, isn't it? Is it there to see it grow, to see it multiply? In other words, God doesn't want what he entrusts to us just to remain the same, does he? So what has God entrusted to you? Or to us. And if you kind of say, Oh, I'm not really sure. Oh, that, I mean, can you imagine if that master had come back and said, Okay, you know, I want to kind of uh, settle accounts with everything I've entrusted to you. And the woman, th- w- one of the servants says, uh, I don't really remember. I didn't kind of catch what you entrusted to me. That would be bad news, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, he was already upset with the one who didn't multiply it. Can you imagine if we didn't know? And yes, it is our responsibility to know what he has entrusted us to. So I think there's a number of things. One is the gospel. In fact, uh, when Paul is talking to Timothy, he has this conversation on several occasions about you've been entrusted with the gospel or we've been entrusted with the gospel. There's spiritual gifts. We know from the scriptures that that each of us has been allotted certain gifts, spiritual gifts. And of course, we in times past, we've talked about the spiritual gifts he gives to us. But that's something we've been entrusted with. He's also entrusted us with resources, all sorts of resources. Money is one. You know, if you're listening to this and you live in the United States or even in Europe, you know, uh, you probably are in the top 5 to 10 percent of wealthiest people in the whole world. That's something he has allowed us to live. He's allowed us to live in countries where we get jobs and we make money. We have extra money. We have a lot of discretionary money, but God sees that as something he's entrusted to us. There's spiritual insights. You know, unlike even 200 years from now, we've got podcasts. Well, even unlike 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, we have, you know, we, we have recordings of messages. There's books, you know. In fact, you can kind of get them for almost nothing on Kindle, you know, and read them. We've been, we've been entrusted with so much as information and spiritual knowledge and insights and truth. Do you think he wants us to do something with that? Of course he does you know, there's time, you know, now that's something every one of us has been given the same amount. You know, you might say, well, I'm really busy. Well, you know what? I understand that, but you've been given 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just like I have, just like everybody else has. if just like the most busiest person in the world and the person that's most productive. So we have a stewardship or a, uh a responsibility there too. In fact, you could almost just say it this way. He has entrusted your life with, you know, uh, to you for his service and for his glory. So I think the question is, what have we done with all that he's entrusted to us? Are we being faithful to everything that he's entrusted to us? Do we even know what that means? These are things that we need to really take seriously because again, Matthew 25, right before Jesus leaves, it's an answer to the question, still part of the answer that Jesus is giving to his disciples. What about the end? And he's saying, the parable of the, of the uh, virgins, keep that fire lit, keep those lamps lit. And here he's saying, be faithful with, with everything that I've given you and I've entrusted you with. And um, and you know, just uh, again, I just want to read the response here that he says to those who are faithful. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. Now I kind of think of you know, if it's if you've been given five talents, you know, kind of multiplied out, you know, you got five million dollars. That that's not a few things, but in but in comparison to what he wants to entrust us with, that is. A few things. He says, you are faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And I think he's obviously talking about the next age. In fact, we've already talked about this in this series that in this next life, in this next age, we're going to have responsibilities with them, you know, and, and, and those responsibilities, the role that we take you know, that we have is dependent on what we do and the faithfulness we have with the few things that God has given us in this life. And then I like the part, enter into the joy of your master, because right now this life isn't always joyful. There's a lot of things to be unjoyful about, although I think he gives us the grace to be joyful in the midst of things, but that doesn't begin to compare to the joy That we're going to have in the next age. Now, on the other hand, to the one who did nothing, I mean, he was, at least he didn't waste it, but basically did nothing with it. He calls him, you wicked, lazy slave. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the category of Jesus saying to me, good and faithful servant. And I know you do too. Now, just one other thing. There's a spiritual principle found in verse 29. Let me just kind of, and and this is often repeated by Jesus in various settings, but it says, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, speaking of the future. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And again, it's the principle that if I'm faithful and responsible with the things that God has given me, I'm just, he's going to give me more. But if I'm not, even what I do have, he's going to take away. And, and, and I think we can probably all see this in examples of that in, in our lives or the people around us. Before we move to the next parable, I just want to mention that in Luke 19, there is a similar parable, the parable of the minas. It's very similar, same points, just a few differences. One difference is uh, a minor is worth about a half of a year's, or no, about a third of a year's salary. And, uh, and each person is only given one. Uh, the other big difference is that, uh, that um, how they're responsible, the reward is, oh, be in charge of five cities, be in charge of two cities. And again, he's talking about the responsibilities later. But it's amazing how many of the parables of Jesus, which he gave to his disciples, where the others wouldn't understand, have to do with our being prepared. You know, we've been going, we've been looking at this for weeks now. Okay, let's go to the parable of the sheep and goats. Some people call this the parable of the judgment. Some people say, well, it's not even really quite like a parable because Jesus starts off by kind of, you know, he says, but when the Son of Man comes in glory, you know, he is, is much more straightforward. So I'm, again, I'm just going to kind of sort of tell the story by kind of looking at this a little bit for the sake of time. But it's talking about the Son of Man, Jesus, when he comes back in glory, and it says all the angels are going to be with him. And he's going to sit on his glorious throne. And all the peoples of the world are going to be gathered. And he's going to divide them on the left and on the right, just like a shepherd might, the goats and the sheep. And, uh, and to the sheep on the right, he says, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And and then he goes on and says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, or literally it means an immigrant, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And, And... those on that side said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you as, as a stranger and sick and a prisoner and all that? And he says, "He says, truly I say to you that when you did any of these things to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he kind of turns to the ones on the left and he kind of says, uh, depart from me, accursed one. And uh, for I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a, anything to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me in. I was a I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they said, Lord, when did we? When, I, I don't remember doing that to you. And he kind of answers and says, True to see you. To the extent that you did not do this to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then he sends them into eternal punishment. Well, that's, this is a, I have to admit, this is a difficult parable. So let's kind of, let's just start back. Uh, It starts off, you know, when the Son of Man comes in glory, this is verse 31, and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne, Course, we've been talking about this, you know, about a month ago. We talked about we talked about when Jesus comes back, he's coming in glory, angels are going to be here. Here he kind of pretty much says all the angels, doesn't it? So uh, and it says that in one other place. I wouldn't want to you know make that a a doctrine, but it does seem like that, doesn't it? And uh and then to the ones on the one side, he says, Come, and this is in verse 34, he says, Come, you who are blessed of my father. I like that. We're blessed. Inherit the kingdom, which been has been prepared for you. In other words, right now, Jesus is preparing a kingdom. Yeah, I know we're part of the kingdom now, and we have a spiritual membership. We've been born into it. But the fullness of the kingdom is our inheritance. It's been prepared for us, and it's been prepared for us since when? Since the foundation of the world. I like that. Well, I I guess the difficult thing about this parable to me is that it almost seems that we have to perform certain works before we're eligible to enter and inherit the kingdom. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about these works saving us or giving us eternal life, but he is talking about these are the works that define who we are as followers of Jesus. This is the proof that we truly are disciples. This is the proof or the fruit that we are disciples of Jesus. And uh, the difference is how we're treating people, even to the least of them, between those who are righteous and those who are wicked. And, And you know, that's You know, I would have felt more comfortable if it said, you know, the big difference between the ones on the right and the left is how much you study the Bible or how much doctrine you understand or how much you're praying. But what does he say? He says, how compassionate you are to the least of these. That's the defining mark. Notice there's the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the immigrant, the naked, which I think is probably another way, uh, especially in in New Testament, um, you know, word choices. He's talking about the poor, the sick, the prisoner. And I think I want to suggest that this is also talking about just based upon other parables and other things that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about spiritually, the spiritually hungry. The spiritually thirsty, the spiritual, you know, uh, lonely person, the spiritually poor, the spiritually sick, those who are prisoners spiritually. Now, it also includes those who are literally too. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to just spiritualize this and put. But I think it includes all that. We can say it this way: These are the ones who are often overlooked in this world in a world where everyone's scrambling to kind of get on top. And if they have to kind of crawl over or push other people down in the midst of it, that's okay. That is the world we live in. And Jesus is saying, those who really know me, those who are really my followers, those who are my disciples, they're gonna be tuned in to the vulnerable of this world. And we need to ask ourselves, are we thinking of others even? Are we feeling for them? Are we serving them? Are we caring them? Are we being compassionate? See, when we receive the gospel, we, when we truly receive the gospel, it takes us, and it's not overnight, but there's it's a process, but it takes us from living a self-centered life where everything's about me. And what I can get, and how I feel, and what I'm thinking, and what I need, and what I want, is taking us from being self-centered to loving and caring for people. Because here, it's not just it's not just recognizing, oh, that person's thirsty. You know, I feel for him. No, it's what giving him a drink. You know, it's not. Oh, yeah, that person's, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a stranger, an immigrant here. No, it's what Welcome them in. So it's it's, sometimes we think of love as kind of a feeling. Jesus defines love as f- certainly there's that feeling inside, but feeling that results in doing something. And it says, even to the least of them. And I think Jesus just gave examples of who the least of them are. Now, you might say, yeah, but you know, Mike, I love my family. I'm really devoted to my family. And I've got some close friends I'm really devoted to. Well, of course you are, you know, uh, everyone, even the wicked or, you know, love their families. They may not always express it, you know, right. But uh, but see, these are people that if we treat them right, they treat us right. We've got something to gain from it. But what about those that when we care for them, we don't have anything to gain? That really tests their motivation of whether or not we're really loving and caring this world. And brothers and sisters, we're living in a world, I don't think I need you to tell, I don't you don't need me to tell you this, but it's crumbling. It's getting, it's getting more hate filled, it's getting more dysfunctional, it's getting more, there's just there's just more hate and hopelessness and depression and all these things are just multiplying and it's going in at an accelerated rate now and there's a lot of people out there and God has called us to those who have received the gospel who've embraced a life of following Jesus he wants to turn us from being self-centered to we are we are caring and loving for these people honestly i don't think the church at least in the last in my lifetime has taught this very well nor has the church practiced this very well. That must change. If we're to be the salt of the earth, if we're to be the light of the world, it has to change before we see this great harvest. Because how's this great harvest going to come? It's our doing what it says here in Matthew 25. Listen, difficult things are going on today. I know that. and But rather than kind of Lamenting and kind of fighting it and kind of saying, I want it to be the way it used to be. You know, you know what I think God's doing? I think he's trying to shake his people. I think he's trying to say something to us. He's trying to purify us. He's trying to get us, get our eyes off ourselves and own to others. And I think the question we've got to be asking are we listening to him? Okay, in conclusion we've talked about three parables here. What lessons do these parables teach us about how we're to live today in preparation for what's ahead? Well, one, the parable of the 10 virgins, keep our lamps lit. Keep that extra oil, the Holy Spirit, you know, and don't let it die out. You know, uh, let's don't leave our first love. Let's return to the simplicity and devotion or, or to simplicity and devotion or simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I got it right there. OK, in the parable of the talents, be faithful in everything he's entrusted to us. And then in this last one, he's saying and love and care for others, even to the least of them. You know, when I look at these parables, and I'm just talking about for me, I feel like in my life, I've kept my lamp lit for the most part. I'm not saying that there haven't been times that it's gone down, you know. But for the most part, I feel like I've even been faithful in a lot of things that God has entrusted me to. What I'm less sure about is this last one. Loving and caring for others, even to the least of them. That one it makes me uncomfortable, but I hear God speaking to me just like I think He's speaking to the church today. That we need to, we need to change our focus. Jesus said it this way when He was talking about the harvest. You know, He says, "Open your eyes, look out on the harvest. It's ripe for harvest." And um, and I think part of that is seeing people where they are. And reaching out and serving. That's what God's called us to in these last days. And that's part of the preparation that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that your word is so, uh, is so specific to us. And Lord, when you talk about our being prepared for the next age, Lord, you, you say it pretty clearly. We need to keep those lamps lit. We need to be faithful in the things that you've entrusted us to. And Lord, there's a a dying, hurting world out there that we need to be loving and caring, even to the least of them. Lord, when we look at ourselves, we are still too self-focused, too self-centered. Lord, we ask that you would change us, that you would purify us, that you would truly prepare us for the great harvest and also for this next age, which really is more real than this age. Lord, give us the grace. Remind us of these things over and over. Lord, let this not just be something that we feel today and by tomorrow, we're kind of, you know, back focused on ourselves. Lord, do something real inside of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray pray. Amen.